Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I believe that the message God has for us this morning is that he wants to put joy in your heart through his Messiah, Jesus. He really does. That's not just a a concept. It's not just a platitude. He really does. God really wants to put joy in your heart through Jesus, his Messiah. And so, so God said, rejoice greatly. Shout for joy. Your king is coming. Great things are ahead of you. Be happy today because I am sending your Savior to you. This was the message that God had for his people through the prophet Zechariah 520 years before the birth of Jesus. God knew all that he had in store for his people in Jesus, and he knew that what he had in store for his people in Jesus was so wonderful that it had the power to thrill their hearts in that day, even 520 years before it all came to pass. That's how powerful the message, the truth, the reality of the coming Messiah is. This prophecy of Zechariah was written to people who had just returned from exile in Babylon. They had been prisoners. They'd been captives. They were returning to a homeland that had been destroyed and made desolate. They had overwhelming challenges ahead of them to come back into the land and resettle it. They had the same, on top of that, they had the same kind of human problems that we do today. They had, they, they, they had everyday um, problems, trials, disappointments, pain, and sorrow. Yet God wanted to put joy into their hearts through his Messiah, Jesus, and he, he wants to do that for you today and every day. That's his, that's his message for you. About 520 years later, this prophecy was uh, fulfilled, or at least begun to be fulfilled. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Actually, about 550 years later, the actual prophecy of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a coat, the foal of a donkey, was fulfilled. But 520 years later, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You know, the birth of any baby is one of the happiest moments of life, and and I well remember the birth of of our children, and I remember the birth of our our firstborn, which I'd never experienced before. I remember the, the, uh, my wife stayed in the hospital quite a few days then. At that time, they didn't just kick you out real quickly. But I remember those days, and I think it was like a week, five to seven days, every night after work, I'd go up to the hospital. And it was, it was just the, one of the most euphoric moments in my life. I'll never forget it. But there was a unique or a massive joy surrounding the birth of Jesus that was one of a kind. It was totally unique only for him. The angel said that his birth would mean great joy for all the people or joy for the whole world. And the reason the birth of Jesus was caused for such happiness and joy was because he was the Messiah. Luke 
said that the angel of the Lord appeared to some shepherds and said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That's the NIV reading. Your Bible may say a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. But Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. The angel's announcement meant the Messiah was born. That's the reason for the announcement of great joy for all the people. The happiness and joy over that, over his birth, over the fact that the Messiah was born, was because the coming of the Messiah meant the answer to everything. And that's not an exaggeration. If you look at the, the prophecies of the coming Messiah, they are, are so, so over the top, so, so massive, so, so euphoric, it's, it's impossible, almost impossible for us to even conceive of the wonders that the Messiah would bring in. The Old Testament prophets told of a, of a coming Messiah, a coming, a, a coming Messiah, Savior, King, who would be the glorious answer for every personal need that they had, the glorious answer to every need that they had as a nation. The coming Messiah would solve the problem of sin, the problem of evil, the problem of death. He would solve the problem of sorrow, the problem of depression and sadness, the problem of injustice and poverty and oppression. The prophets foretold that he would bring God's people to a place of well-being, to a place of perfection, to a place of wholeness that they could only dream about. He would relieve all fears and fulfill all hopes. All that was wrong about life would be solved. By the Messiah. So if Jesus is the Messiah, if the Messiah was born, if the Messiah has broken into this world, that means there is not one sin, not one problem, not one pain, not one sorrow that Jesus Messiah is not the final and complete solution for. If Jesus is the Messiah, then he will bring in everlasting joy. And happiness, everlasting peace, everlasting rest, everlasting perfection, everlasting glory, and everlasting and eternal love. If Jesus is the Messiah, then he is the answer to the cry of our heart, the answer to the, all the longings within us for wholeness and for perfect and complete joy. These prophecies of the coming Messiah abound throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And one of the, one of the things that I, that I think is a huge problem from us not being familiar with our Old Testaments like, like we should is we miss, miss out on some of the incredible promises of joy and wonder and greatness and glory that is coming on us through the Messiah. And I think because of that, because we miss out on that, I think we live with kind of a shallow Jesus we don't understand all that he is and all that he is bringing that he has brought to us and all that he is bringing to us the messiah was the hope of every god-fearing jew most of the jews of that day had some understanding of, of what it meant for someone to be the messiah they had some understanding of what it meant that the messiah was here it wasn't perfect in fact we know for many of them it was badly distorted 
into merely a hope for a man who would defeat the Romans for them. But the Jews as a whole had this overwhelming sense of anticipation for this one to come. And they had been looking to him for centuries. We sang that song, Jesus, long-awaited Messiah, long-awaited hope. This was not just a small side issue. It was the focal point of their faith. If you, and again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and the prophecies of his coming, you can understand why this became the focal point of their, their faith. Their, their hopes were centered around the Messiah coming. Even the uh, immoral woman at the well in Samaria said, I know Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things or he will explain everything to us. Even though she was not a godly person, she was very aware of one coming, the Messiah, with all the answers to life. Simeon is another a great example of this, a, a great example of this anticipation that the Jewish people had for God's Messiah to come. He, Luke tells us that he took the baby Jesus in his arms and he, and he praised God saying, As you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I mean, for for Simeon, it was like, because he had lived to see the Messiah come to earth to break into our world, he said, I can die in peace. I'm ready to go. I've seen, it's like I've seen it all. Everything that he had lived for and hoped for and longed for was now coming to pass in this child that he was holding. And he knew life could not hold anything better than that, than what the Messiah meant and and would bring. He clearly saw that Jesus was the, the answer to the cry of the human heart. He clearly saw that Jesus was God's salvation for our sin and our sorrow and for every human need. And, and all of this, and I feel like I've only scratched the surface and we're going to look into it in more de- detail, but all of this and more is the reason the birth of, birth of Jesus, our Messiah, meant, as the angel said, great joy for all the people. This world desperately needs a Messiah. And each one of us desperately need a Messiah. Because we don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. We don't live in a Garden of Eden world. Something went terribly wrong in the Garden of Eden. Something went terribly wrong with our hearts and with our world when Adam and Eve sinned. Communion with God was broken. And the first couple was kicked out of the Garden. The world came under a curse. All of our problems all that is hard and painful about life, all of our sense of loneliness and separation from God stem from that sin and the resulting curse that came upon humanity. Death and loss is a part of this life because we are no longer in the garden. We're no longer in a perfect world. We're in a fallen, broken world because of sin. A.W. Tozier said, Adam destroyed the proper creator-creature relationship in which his true happiness lay. In other words, among other things, the fall ruined our joy 
and spoiled our happiness. When Adam sinned, clear back at the beginning of human history, it put all of his descendants, including everyone who's ever lived and including us, you and me, in a, in a terrible predicament. In Adam's sin, in his rebellion against God, he, he produced a race of rebels, a line of sinners. And his sin, it says, was passed to all men and we all became sinners. And with sin came the misery of sin and the consequences of sin. Death and judgment. No one's life has ever been perfect since that time. It's, it's hard in some ways to comprehend just how terrible a situation we as human beings were trapped in. And when we, we, we see it in the conflict, in the wars in, of history, uh, we have felt it in ourselves, and we have, we have felt the effects of the fall in our own selves, in our struggles with, with anger and pride, in our struggles with depression and sadness, in our tendencies to complain and grumble, in our envy, in our strife with others, in our insecurities, in our fears. These are all a result of the fall. We feel that in ourselves. We feel it sometimes very keenly in ourselves. And we easily see it in others. We see the effects of the fall in others and how, how they treat us, how they treat other people. So for things to get better, there had to be a way to solve the problem of our sin. There had to be a way to remove the guilt of our sin, to change our inclination to sin into an inclination to serve and please and love God. There had to be a way to remove this monstrous and terrible and painful consequences of sin. There had to be a way to, to remove death and disease personal conflict with other people, unhappiness, war, depression, gloom, sadness, sorrow, separation from loved ones, slavery, oppression, unfairness, injustice of every kind. And so bit by bit, over time, God began to make through, make clear through his word that the solution to our sin and misery and death would come by an anointed person. Someone who would be chosen by God the Father and be fully qualified to accomplish all that was needed, all that was needed to lift us out of this terrible cycle of sin and death and oppression and misery in this world. And that person was the Messiah. As, as you honestly, as you look inside your own life and as you look inside your own heart and as you look inside your own past do you not feel how badly I need a Messiah as you look at life around you and you look at just the things that are not right you look at people that are hurting and suffering and you see the evil and pain in conflict, in relationship, do you not feel how badly we need a Messiah? How badly the world needs Messiah and his reign? Well, God knew that he had, that he had an answer for us. I mean, God, God knew that he had such a great answer for us that even before Jesus was born, God told his people to be unspeakably happy 
about the Messiah that he would send them. And, and that's what I see in this Zechariah 9.9 passage. God knew that the coming Messiah was such great news that he wanted people to be unspeakably happy about that, even 520 years ahead of time. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, slowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. I was so touched in looking at this passage this week to see how God addresses his people as his daughter. God speaks to his people as his daughter because of his tender love for them, because of his tender love for you, like a father has for his daughter. One writer said, only a dad who has had daughters will really get this. I love my son every bit as much as I love my daughters, but there is something different, not more, but different in a dad's heart for his girls. There is a kind of tender protectiveness in the heart of a man for his daughters that only experience can describe. So God speaks in this tender love of a father for his daughter, and he says, my daughter, rejoice greatly. My daughter, rejoice greatly, celebrate and shout because your king, your savior, the Messiah is coming. And so God wants us as his daughter, whom he loves tenderly and dearly. He wants us to sing for joy, to rejoice greatly, to shout in triumph because of all that he has coming for us. You know, this is like, this is like a, a mom and a dad uh, who, just, who just went completely over the top in buying this fantastic Christmas gift for their little girl. And it's not Christmas yet, but they, they say to their daughter, you're going to be so happy when you open your packages. And that, I mean, that's what God is saying. God himself is so excited and happy in all that he has for us in his Messiah Jesus that he says, you're going to be so happy. So be happy now. Get happy now. Rejoice greatly. Shout for joy because I have something so wonderful for you. And that's really what this message is saying. The well-known prophecy about Messiah, uh, the Messiah from Isaiah 9, which uh, Ethan read for us this morning, it's, it's, it's the one that says, unto us a child is born. That prophecy begins by saying, there will be no more gloom. There will be no more gloom for who, her who is in distress. And it continues, you have increased the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice in your presence as they rejoice at the harvest. And they are glad when, as when they are dividing the spoils of war. And then it goes on from then. Why, why all this gladness? For, why no more gloom? Why are we rejoicing? Why are we singing? For, unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. Uh, Alan Ross uh, from uh, Bible.org said, This is an extreme joy. 
Only the kind of joy that comes from bringing in a great harvest, only the kind of joy that comes in the glory and spoils of winning a great battle can come close to describing the happiness of the Messiah's reign. And he he goes on to say, it is an almost delirious celebration of triumph. That's the kind of... And I, I love, love that phrase. It's, it's, an, it's not just joy. It's an extreme joy. It's not just joy. It's greatly rejoice. All throughout the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, there's this, there's this tone of joy. There's this tone of unspeakable joy. Isaiah 35.10, The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The thing that every one of us cry out for in our hearts is, is true joy, true happiness. And God says, I am sending you a Messiah, a Savior, a King who will bring in everlasting joy. There's really nothing that could be better than that. Nothing else really satisfies the cry of our hearts than that. Now, I want to take us through some of the specific Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, about the coming Messiah, to help us just round out our understanding or or gain a more full understanding, I think, a a, a better comprehension of, of who this Jesus is that was born in Bethlehem. First, there are prophecies, and maybe a lot of times we think about this when we think about the Messiah, and, there, and I'm not trying to slight these kind of prophecies, but there are prophecies that, that serve in some way more to just identify the Messiah through specific information. In other words, it's like, okay, here's some, here's some secret information about the Messiah and this is going to help you identify who he is when he when he comes. I'm talking about prophecies like that he would uh, that he would come out of the tribe of Judah, that he would be come from the line of David, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver, that he would come in riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, uh, that he would uh, be killed with wicked men and yet buried with the rich. And there's just many, many, there's multitudes of other detailed prophets like, prophecies like that, that that furnish incredible details for, for ways in which we can identify that Jesus as the Messiah. And those things have happened and, and dozens more like them were fulfilled in exact detail so that, so that we have remarkable level of confidence that Jesus was the one all these prophecies spoke about. And then there are prophecies that tell who he is and explain more fully what he does and accomplishes for us. The Messiah is more than a great person. The Messiah coming, the coming Messiah would be more than just a great man. It it would be a mistake in any way to see him as just a great man. He is at the same time God or a a God person, a God man. He was to be born a son. He was was a man. He was to be a man, a son, born of a virgin, yet his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are not descriptions of a mere man. 
He would be God himself coming to us in human form. The Messiah would be a savior. First and foremost, he would come to save us from our sins. That's, that's our big problem. And he solves a lot of other things that flow out of that. But the, our root problem, our core problem, the foundation of, uh, out of our, of our problems and out of which all of our other problems grow is sin. So first and foremost, he saves us from our sins. The angel told Mary, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He came to save us from, from the guilt of our sins and the consequences of our sins, from, from the judgment of God rightly against us because of our sin. And I had Josh put the NIV translation in here in chapter 9 because of, of, of some things I, I thought it accurately translated about uh, daughter, daughter Zion and daughter Jerusalem. But uh, some of the other, a lot of the other translations say, your king comes to you righteous and with salvation or righteous and having salvation. Jesus came, he brought salvation with him. <laughs> I mean, it was in himself, his salvation in, is in himself as a person, but he came with salvation. He came to save you and I from sin and from Satan and death and hell. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. Verse 12 of that same chapter says, He poured out His life unto death. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The thing that brought us peace was punishment and suffering and death that was placed on him. Although he would come as king, and there's prophecies that we're going to get to, talk about Jesus is coming as king. In our passage this morning, Zechariah 9.9, he comes, your king, your king comes to you. He comes as king. Yet the Messiah would be a wounded king. He would be a wounded victor, a suffering savior. There's this paradox about the Messiah that the Jews got really confused about this. In fact, they got so they just ignored the parts about his suffering and woundedness and only focused on the fact that he was coming as a conqueror, a king, a ruler. But there's this paradox that the Messiah would come as a wounded victor, a suffering savior, and his wounds would heal our sin problem. His suffering and wounds were for our well-being. I, I love that part of the, the Isaiah 53, uh, 5 in the New American Standard talks about uh, the, the, the chastisement was upon him for our well-being. He took that. He took suffering, wounds, and death for our well-being. The Messiah would not only forgive sin, atone for sin, but 
he would destroy sin and evil at its very root in our souls. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your iniquities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. Daniel 9.24 says the Messiah will put an end to sin and atone for iniquity and bring in everlasting righteousness. He would not only only just forgive our sins, but he would do that work in our heart to, to put an end to sin and to bring in everlasting righteousness. So the Messiah would... Would, he would not only forgive our sins and enable us to live lives that please and love and serve God, but the Messiah would also ultimately fix everything that is wrong with our lives due to sin and due to the fall and the resulting curse. Isaiah 61 says he will bind up our broken hearts. We have broken hearts because of the fall, because of sin, because we live in a fallen, broken world. But the Messiah, when he comes, he will bind up our broken hearts. He will give us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Instead of making our life look like a pile of ashes, he will make something beautiful in our lives and about our lives. He he will give us joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. He will fix our physical brokenness and weakness. Isaiah 35, 5. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The, eye, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. And what a picture of what the Messiah has come to do for us. We're going to leap and dance and sing in perfect bodies because of the work of the Messiah. You know, when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law also, uh, and then many other, others came to Peter's house and, and were healed, and, and Matthew said this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And what, a pre- what a precious prophecy about the Messiah. I mean, illnesses and diseases are just such an enemy in our lives and... and uh, to think that the, that, the ultimate, that, that the Messiah will, in part, bring healing that we experience in this life, and then fully, he's bringing a day when we'll be disease-free, pain-free, bodies perfect in heaven, and we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be leaping and dancing. We'll be leaping like a deer in heaven. The Messiah would end all national and international problems by reigning as king forever. Daniel 7, uh, 13 and 14, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
That's talking about Jesus. That's our Messiah. And then Isaiah 2, 4, He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Jesus is not only going to solve the problem in our hearts, in our lives, but in the entire world. He's going to bring peace on earth to the entire world. So the birth of Jesus is, is so significant because he was the Messiah. I mean, the reason that the, that the angels uh, announced and heralded his birth and said, this means great joy for all people was because Jesus was this Messiah that all these prophecies spoke about. And Jesus either has fulfilled or will fulfill every one of these glorious messianic prophecies. The salvation that you and I so desperately need is fully underway. Jesus has come. The Savior is born. God has broken into our world in giving us his son, the Messiah. So the message of Scripture, the message of Scripture is to let the joy begin. Let the celebration begin. Let the shouting begin. I mean, if, if, it, was, if it was supposed to begin 520 years before Jesus was born, it's surely supposed to be there now after he was born. You know. But how do, we, how do we as people who clearly still have problems and experience trials and pain, how, how do we do that? How do we shout for joy? You know, Cindy told me a, a few days ago, actually while I was pr- working on this message, uh, she told me that a girl that she went to uh, school with up in Humboldt was diagnosed with ovarian cancer last September. Uh, she'd endure uh, five surgeries, and, and, her, and her husband had a stroke just recently and, and couldn't talk. And this gal's a, a Christian, and, you know, I thought, how, how does the message of Jesus the Messiah solve that level of, of heartbreak? Well, the message that Christ has come, the message that he is here, doesn't mean that we no longer experience pain and tears. Uh, we're, this is still uh, the old order, as John, John says in Revelation. We're still in that time where we cry, we shed tears, Uh, We suffer and we hurt. And yet, it's a mystery. I I can't fully explain it. But in the midst of all that, God calls us to greatly rejoice. To rejoice in the Lord always. And, And nowhere in the Bible, nowhere does the Bible give us the idea that we should wait to heaven, till heaven to be happy. It's just not there. You know, yeah, it's, that's 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 going to be perfect happiness, but um, nowhere in the Bible does it give us the idea that we should just kind of wallow in our sorrows now and and just say, well, someday, someday things will get better. You know, we're we're to be we're to be happy and rejoice now. Most of the commands. To rejoice and sing and shout for joy, and they're all through the old the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. Most of the commands to rejoice and sing and shout for joy were given to people as they were living 
in slavery, captivity, and exile. And they were experiencing the same kind of pain and loss and grief that we all do too. But, but, but it's clear that God, he got, God wanted them to pull joy into their hearts from the, the coming Messiah. God wanted them to pull joy from the future back into the present, and we're to do that too. And to a degree, we do that by faith. I mean, God knows that what he has coming for us is so incredibly awesome, so incredibly happy, so incredibly wonderful and joy-filled that he, he knows all that. And so he says, man, if you only knew, just rejoice now. He said, just be glad right now because great, such great things are coming. Such great things are on the way. So be glad about it now. And I go back to our verse this morning. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Rejoice greatly. Shout, daughters Jerusalem. See your king comes to you. And God's, God's message to us today is, is to rejoice greatly, my daughter, my beloved daughter. Sons too, but he speaks to us with that tender love of a father for his daughter. He regards you. You know, in some, I was just thinking of, of this passage. I think, you know, in some passages of Scripture, women, you got to get used to being called sons. <laughs> Other passages of Scripture, guys, you got to get used to being called daughters. But God's just communicating something very tender and loving, and I hope you can receive that this morning. But where does this joy come from? Again, how do, we, how do we pull that into our lives? Well, the joy comes from seeing your king, seeing your Messiah. What does it say? What does it say? It says, greatly rejoice. It says, shout. And then it says, see your king comes to you. Or see your king is coming to you. It's, very, it's translated... Uh, variously see or look or behold. But it's, I mean, obviously the king wasn't right there in front of them. He didn't even, didn't, wasn't even born for 520 years, but yet God says, see, look, behold. You've got to look with the eyes of your heart. Look with the eyes of your soul and see the Messiah and see the wonders that he is bringing to you. And God wanted them to, to see, to behold the king coming with such, with such a clear vision that it, that it impacted their present emotions, that it impacted their present state of heart. And, you know, I'm not sure that faith is really ever real faith until it, be, until it begins to change our emotions, until it changes our state of heart. And God, God wants us to behold the Savior coming so clearly, with, with such clear eyes of faith that, that we can shout and sing for joy, that it changes us on the very inside part of our being. So in your, in your present suffering and hardship, look up and, look up and see your King Jesus. God wants you to pull joy from the Messiah into your life today, even in the midst of all kinds of problems and challenges. By looking to Jesus, your Messiah, looking to his birth, his perfectly sinless life, his death and resurrection, and, and, and for all that
that is yet to come. Now, in some ways, we're better off than these people that Zechariah wrote to. They hadn't seen even his birth. They, they didn't know anything about the cross, the death and resurrection, the full atonement of Jesus for all of our sins. They didn't fully get that. That's in our past. We can look back to that and pull joy into our hearts from that. But in some sense, some sense like them, we are still looking forward to much that the Messiah has yet to bring. And like them, we are to pull joy into our present from all that he has for us in our future. Peter said, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. John tells us in that place he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And no longer will there be a curse upon anything. Man, what a statement. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. Randy Alcorn uh, commenting on this, this verse in his book, Happiness, which, which I love and highly recommend. He said, that's how much God wants us to be happy. He will recreate the universe, raise us from the dead, and give us back the wonders of Eden multiplied a thousand times over. There we will live in joyful, everlasting communion with him, all bought and paid for with his own blood. We'll celebrate endlessly that Jesus entered our history to redeem us and to restore the shared happiness of God and his people. And he went on to say, some of my happiest and most hope-giving thoughts come in pondering what it will be like to live in a resurrected body on a resurrected earth under the benevolent rule of Messiah, of Christ. So Christ the Messiah comes to restore our fellowship, our communion, our peace with God, and to reinstate the happiness that was lost in the garden. And so we we find joy in knowing that God has broken into our world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And we find joy in knowing that Jesus has redeemed us from all our sins. And we find joy in looking forward to to all that is ahead, that is ahead of us, Real, things that are just beyond our wildest dreams, joy and happiness and wonders uh, that we can scarcely imagine. But I, in I, Isaiah uh, 65, the Lord says, Be happy and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. That's, that's what God wants for you. Uh, that's what God wants for your heart. And um, it's, just, it's just so wonderful to think about this, uh, particularly this season of the year, to think of the wonder of God himself breaking into our world with the Messiah who solves everything. I mean, that's, again, I say this, no exaggeration. He's the solution to everything. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Let's pray.